delivering high-quality, technology-centric podcasts around the world. This is MunchTech.TV, taking a bite out of technology. Hello, and welcome to episode 497 of the Two Techies for Saturday, February 15th, 2020. This is the show where we talk about the week's most notable technology stories in around an hour or less with myself, Jimmy Bunting, and him, Aaron Fisher. Come together once a week to talk about segmentalize, compartmentalize, discuss, debate, analyze, and, and everything else. The week's most notable technology stories. On this week's episode, a stark prediction from Roku. Tesla accidentally disables autopilot and the debacle surrounding software subscription models again you are very welcome to what is episode 497 of the two techies what has been a technology podcast for over 10 years i'm jimmy he is aaron and together we've came together once a week to talk about what we feel is the most notable technology stories. Sometimes there's not an awful lot in terms of most notable, but there are still interesting stories as well. So we, we, we try to balance that. Um, there wasn't an episode last week, however, there was the previous week, and that was our 10-year mark, 10-year episode. So we sort of looked back at the previous decade of technology stories, technology news, and everything that surrounded it. Good episode worth a listen, still relevant, will be for some time, given it wasn't news from the week. I'll on over at munchtech.tv forward slash 10 years. This week, as I said, um, nothing really major or uh, significant, but interesting stories um, rather than that. So Ruku have come out and have said something quite, I guess something quite obvious, but um, the timeline of giving it is quite interesting. They're saying that by 2024, half of US households with the TV will cut the cord by that year, by 2024. Whether or not that, that that's the case, we'll see, because there's there's been a bit of a role reversal there in that the streaming services kind of are like the cable companies now because there are so many of them and to some extent um, that the offerings are fragmented. So the question is posed, is one better than the other? We'll talk about that. Tesla accidentally disabled autopilot on used Model S cars after they were sold. And then we're going to talk about something we've discussed before, but it's becoming more and more current uh, and, and, and relevant as we progress on in the year and, and, and previous from last year. That is software subscription models and whether they actually have a place or not. Um, some companies, some really notable companies, Adobe, for example, made a very big example out of that. And it's worked fantastically for them. But they kind of had a, a monopoly on that because their software was in, in need and in demand. But when it's not, how does that work? How does it pan out? Is software, does it belong in a subscription model world? Before we do that, hello, Aaron. Hello. How are we? Ah, pretty good. Yourself? Cannot complain. I've, uh... oh, t- two, this is technology, isn't it? Two weeks, no episode, still no news. Could be two days after this episode and there will be an outbreak of news. To be fair, I think we might be the one technology news show outlet, whatever you want to call us, not covering Samsung's event this week, which, considering, I think, 
oh, was it Tuesday, Wednesday? I can't remember when the event was. Um, you can often tell when a company's press embargo lift because I logged onto YouTube homepage and all of a sudden there was like, hang on, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 videos all in a row, all about Samsung's new stuff. I think everyone has uh, successfully successfully been out Samsunged this week. So I think uh, might be a good thing we're probably the one show not covering it. <laughs> it's also worth noting, and um, maybe this sounds like a broken record, but the outbreak of coronavirus is actually affecting the world of tech at the minute. And that's because China plays such a major, huge role in technology. Apple have closed certain stores. Car manufacturers have closed certain um, production factories. Uh, you know, th- th- there's a, a knock-on effect. And as a result, news does dry up to some extent, especially from that, that region. And so it's mindful to, to remember that that is a thing as well. Um, you know, a factor, I guess, affecting um, the technology news. We will go on to the main stories. Before we do, however, we will go to the quick news. Chinese tech giant Huawei can reportedly access the network that helped build that are being used by mobile phones around the world. It's being used by backdoors intended for law enforcement for over a decade, Wall Street Journal reported on Tuesday, citing US officials. The details were disclosed to the UK and Germany at the end of 2019 after the US had noticed access since 2009 across 4G equipment, according to the report. The backdoors were inserted for law enforcement use into carrier equipment like base stations, antennas and switching gear, the journal said, with US officials reportedly alleging they were designed to be accessible by Huawei themselves. Apple's intentional slowing down of certain older iPhone models in 2017 have now led to a fine of 25 million euros by France's Directorate General for Competition, Consumption and the Suppression of Fraud, or DGC, CRF, for short. Apple, which is not contesting the fine, must also display a press release on its website for one month. Seized on January the 5th, 2018 by the Paris Prosecutor's Office to investigate the complaint of an association against Apple, the DGC-CRF has indeed shown that iPhone owners had not been informed that the updates of the iOS operating system 10.2.1 and 11.2 they installed were likely to slow down the operation of their device, says the organization in a press release. In an incredible feat of remote engineering, NASA has fixed one of the most intrepid explorers in human history. Voyager 2 currently some 11.5 billion, with a B, miles from Earth, is back online and resuming its mission to collect scientific data on the solar system and the interstellar space beyond. On Wednesday, February 5th at 10pm Eastern, NASA's Voyager Twitter account gave out the good news. Voyager 2 is not only stable, but is back at its critical science mission. My twin is back to taking science science data. The team at NASA JPL is evaluating the health of the instruments after their brief shutoff, the account tweeted. And finally, as an early domain name investor, Michael Connor had about or sorry, had by 1994 snatched up several choice online domains, some he sold over the years, but for the past 26 years, O'Connor refused to auction perhaps the most sensitive domain in his stable, corp.com. It is sensitive because years of testing shows whoever wills it would have access to an unending stream of passwords, email and other proprietary data belonging to hundreds of thousands of systems at major companies around the globe. Now facing 70 and seeking to simplify his estate, O'Connor is finally selling corp.com. The asking price? $1.7 million is hardly outlandish for a four-letter domain with such a strong commercial appeal. 
O'Connor said he hopes Microsoft Corp will buy it, but fears they won't, and instead it will get snatched up by someone working with the organized cyber criminal clan or state-funded hacking groups bent on undermining the interests of Western corporations. One reason O'Connor hopes Microsoft will buy it is that by virtue of the unique way Windows handles resolving domain names on a local network, virtually all of the computers trying to share sensitive data with corp.com are somewhat confused Windows PCs. More importantly, early versions of Windows actually encouraged the adoption of insecure settings that made it more likely Windows computers might try to share sensitive data with corp.com. I'm just going to clarify something with you, Aaron, because it's it's good to back up, you know, the thoughts in your head. Huawei, aren't, isn't that the company that the UK said they were going to work with with their 5G infrastructure? Yes, and uh, I was reading just yesterday how I think Australia are now pretty peeved at us for agreeing to it. I think the whole world is pretty annoyed that we've decided to work with it. I think the whole of the UK or the UK populace is also pretty annoyed at this fact. Um, mm. It's not great, the idea that our telecoms network could soon be, I guess, Chinese state-owned or whatever you want to call it, but uh, I part of me probably imagines the half of it is scaremongering is the wrong word but blown out of proportion slightly I think might be the better phrasing um, and the other half of me goes oh god no um, it's very clearly a case of race to the bottom on the contract I imagine whoever offered to do this stuff for the cheapest probably won be damned of uh, privacy to your citizens I guess um, which is kind of the way the UK has operated for a little while it feels like um, you know privacy to or, or our privacy is often second fiddle to literally everything else um, primarily money but yes the US I think Germany as well Australia all put huge amounts of pressure on the UK to, to not work with them which like for all the companies in the world that deal with this stuff I don't know why the UK was like well clearly they're the only one that can do it so we'll go with them it's like well that's not true mm. but um, yeah just uh, not a great situation um, a whole bit of shambles kind of feels like the UK has done a bit of you know fingers in their ears going la 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 not listening to anyone over the whole situation which is kind of annoying, but kind of par for the course, really. If America, which has off the top of my head 11 states which are larger than the UK alone, can manage their infrastructure without, I, I think the UK probably could. We're the same country that is now spending hundreds of billions of pounds on a small bit of railway to connect Birmingham and London, don't forget. <laughs> We're not exactly the best at making monetary decisions at the moment. <laughs> Effective and efficient decisions. <laughs> Um, the French fined Apple 27 million euros. Sorry, 25 million euros, 27 million dollars. That's that's positive, I guess, because there, there is always... Well, yeah, there's always the, the back and forth that, well, it should just be a common understanding that when you update your software, it's going to slow the device down. But it isn't. And Apple never really point that out. They're happy enough to say how great the software is and what it's going to do for you, but they do fail to mention that mm, it might slow the device down. Now, do they do it intentionally? No, I don't believe they do. I don't believe they put the software in to actually run the processes slower and slow the well, device that's, down. That's, that's what this whole thing is over, if you remember, that the fact they did underclock the CPU to save battery life. Yeah, but 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 did they do it? To, that's the thing. Did they do it intentionally to slow the phone down? Was that oh, were, no. were they sitting in a boardroom to say, "How do we slow this phone down to make it unusable so the person buys a new one?" No, they did it for other reasons. But the knock-on effect was that the device was going to be significantly and noticeably slower. Which the cynical side of me says they knew rightly and were more than happy with. I think probably. I mean, I think we talked about this at the time. One of the things for me is I think these are perfectly legitimate reasons. 
reasons, um, but them to slow the device down. They were talking about how as the phone aged, the battery degraded significantly. And once it hit a certain point, they would slow the CPU down. Otherwise, the, the battery really would not last long and users would be complaining their phone lasts 10 minutes. Um, so Apple were kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place that uh, users could either have a, have a battery that lasts an hour or a phone that's a little bit slower, but may last four hours yeah. uh, for argument's sake. But I think the whole thing is surrounded by, was kind of shrouded by um, the fact they didn't tell anyone that this happened. Um, I think this whole thing could have been avoided. Yes, still do the slowdown, add the toggle switch in, bearing in mind they only added that toggle switch in after this became news. Um, this was something they were going to try and do a little bit on the sly. Um, but add that toggle switch in, do the slowdown. I think everyone's perfectly fine with that, as long as you give them an option. As long as you explain to users that's what's going to happen, or that's what's happening. That's That feels like what this whole, I think, all these fines and whatnot is about. It, it's not the fact that Apple are slowing down devices. It's a perfectly reasonable thing to do, I think, if you caveat it with going, we want your battery to last more than 10 minutes. But mm. yeah, not telling anyone, not giving anyone any options is just, yeah, Apple screwed up a little bit there, and they're, they're paying a little bit for it, let's be honest, $25 million. There's, there's a reason Apple aren't contesting this fine. Um, they probably make that every second, um, so it would be a little pointless. The fine could be a lot higher. It, it could have been a lot worse for Apple. Um, probably should have been, although I think there are. We're at the point where there are bigger fish to fry in this world than, oh no, some people's phones run a little bit slower. So uh, I think the fine is, is probably pretty reasonable. Oh yeah, 100%. Um, uh, will it put them off from doing things in the future? Probably not. Probably not. It's a, it's a small dent in their pocket and it's not really... It's I think as, as long as it just makes companies a little bit more transparent. That's all people want. You can do X, Y, and Z and people may not agree with X, Y, and Z but if you tell people you're doing X, Y, and Z people will often have less of a problem with it than if they find out in the press six months later that you did X, Y, and Z without telling them. Um, I think e- even if they don't stop doing this and I don't think anyone's calling them to stop making older phones more usable but just be transparent and be honest about it and and people will have less of a problem Mm, yeah well it's it's became or become sorry more more uh open and more widespread people hopefully have a better understanding of it and uh, people are still going to buy new iphones because their current ones are too slow when when they update that's that's just a a nod and there, there does there is a point in time in which you update your phone it will slow it down because it's doing a lot more than what the phone actually could do when it was built and the the software is more demanding on the, the hardware side of the phone that's the same with any machine or any computer or any hardware device you need to have the hardware to match the software yes you can optimize the software but there's only so much you can do in terms of bringing a functionality or feature onto a phone before you put too much of a, a strain and stress on the hardware anyway i digress speaking of hardware um, something a bit more complex than a phone the voyager 2 which is 11 and a half billion miles from earth that's kind of cool isn't it i mean 11 and a half billion miles i i don't think the human mind can comprehend comprehend sorry uh, 11 and a half billion miles in terms of distance really yeah just reading the article it, it, it's quite interesting to see what happened to actually it says uh the spacecraft ran into tra- trouble on january 28th nasa revealed that it unexpectedly and for unknown reasons shut down the world obviously held its breath um as 
reported at the time, Voyager 2 went black right before it was scheduled for a maneuver in which the spacecraft rotates 360 degrees in order to calibrate one of its instruments on board. The spacecraft didn't make the move. As a result, two of its systems, both of which consume a lot of power, were running at the same time. The likeliest problem was that the spacecraft was using up too much of its available power supply, which triggered protection software. The software automatically turns off Voyager 2 science instruments when there is a power overload to save on power. It only has a finite supply, after all. Um, there was an interesting... I can't remember where it was. Oh, here it was. Um, the fix is no mean feat. Uh, it takes 17 hours one way to communicate with Voyager 2 from Earth, <laughs> which is the second furthest away man-made object. Voyager 1 is the most farthest away man-made object. That means a single information relay takes 34 hours. Imagine sending a signal, moving a joystick a little bit, whatever it is, you know, requesting some data. You then have to wait a day and a half to figure <laughs> out what actually happened. Yeah. <laughs> Bearing in mind, when you know what happened, that already happened 17 hours ago. Mm. So it's, it's, it's space is one of those things and kind of deep space um, science research, both the Voyager, um, you know, things like the Hubble Space Telescope and whatnot, I think are some of the most fascinating tech out there. They're, they're, they're technology that you design, you build it in a build on Earth, um, but the thought process you have to go through to understand that the further away it gets, the longer it takes to communicate. But, you know, this thing, I think Voyager's been going since what? I think it's like several decades they've both been going for. Voyager 1 was launched in 1977. So imagine the tech we had in the 70s. Bearing in mind, Apple was founded in 1976. So you think of the tech that's on that thing and the fact it's still going today is insane. Um, and yeah, 11 and a half billion miles away. You thought the post office was a long way away. 11 and a half billion. It's just mind-boggling. And it's so cool, I think, to see that these things are still going. I believe they're far kind of outlived their life expectancy um, at this point. But yeah, it's, it's definitely, uh, I love space. It's definitely cool to see. And then Corp.com. I, I kind of feel he's put Microsoft into a sticky situation here. Well, I mean, he owned the domain. He never did anything with Nefarious with it. I did a bit of reading into this, and I believe one of the big reasons this being an issue is, um, say you're a business and you go through the domain setup process um, on all your PCs. I believe one of the recommendations Microsoft used to make were, um, like one of the dialog boxes would say corp.com, intending that you'd put ibm.com for a local network and whatnot. Now, I believe it was always local resolution. I don't believe it was ever internet resolution. I, I, I could be wrong there. Um, but you'd have, you know, accounts.ibm.com. But I think what people ended up doing is they took the example and it was accounts.ibm.corp.com. So basically every Windows machine is forever pinging this online domain name that was only ever used as an example. Bearing in mind, corp.com, never anything to do with Microsoft. This guy never did anything nefarious with it. Mm. Like it's completely a Microsoft problem. And he has every right to sell it. Um, he's not doing anything wrong by selling it. No one's trying to put the blame on him. They actually included a list of other ones he had. I believe he had like cafes.com and whatnot. Like he bought up a bunch of the four and five letter um, domains in, in the early days. Uh, Basically, bearing in mind, he, he, he knew what he was doing. <laughs> yes. And bearing in mind, a four letter domain, $1.7 million is 
peanut. Um, yeah, it, it's yeah, it, yeah. And it feels like such a small thing for Microsoft to just go, we'll just buy it to save the hassle. Mm. Like it just yeah. But yeah, it's it just an interesting how old tech has kind of come to bite them in the backside slightly. Uh, you know, two decades on. Yeah, yeah. As you say, a problem that, that they knew existed for for a long time and, and seemingly didn't do very much about. Let's talk some some news then. So Roku have predicted half of US households with a TV will cut the cord by 2024. It's a stark prediction when you think of the number of households in the US and the number of streaming accounts and so on. However, it, it could happen. I mean, we're on that way. Roku reported a strong holiday quarter, which doesn't really come as a surprise. No time of the year when people buy streaming boxes, sticks or new TVs um, that happen to run Roku software. The company ended 2019 with 36.9 million active accounts. Customers streamed 11.7 billion hours of content in the fourth quarter. They say we have now entered the streaming decade when we believe consumers around the world will choose streaming as their primary way of watching TV. Roku CEO Anthony Wood wrote in his letter to investors, Roku believes that by 2024, half of the US households will actually cut the cord or will have never had cable to begin with. That's an interesting one. We're in a generation now where oh, we never actually had a cable subscription because we grew up through, through the streaming evolution. It seems more like a, an eventuality rather than a prediction to make, right? I wouldn't even say, I mean, the wording of we're entering the streaming decade, it's like, I think most people put down like the 2010 to 2020 decade as the streaming decade. It really was i mean we spoke about it on our 10 year show netflix launched so much stuff um a bunch of the other streaming services launched and gained huge popularity um we're already seeing people who you know there are probably so many houses being built around this country around the u.s now that have never had a or will never have a a cable connection we've also spoken about i think the flip side of many people cut the cord it's probably it's probably a 50 50 split a lot of people cut cut the cord because there isn't enough choice they don't like being dictated to what you're going to watch on a schedule mm. the other half it's probably price um, i imagine price comes into it for most people the flip side is we've now got more choice than ever online um, but more often than not it means subscribing to four or five different streaming services provided by different companies you know disney amazon roku netflix apple all these different streaming services that all have their own subscription costs attached to them so all of a sudden we've gone from the world of you're paying a certain fee to one company to get cable um kind of going on how it works over here i know cable in the u.s has always been a bit complicated um it's still very uh, different cable providers do different stuff whereas over here it's very much been you pick a satellite provider or satellite tv provider and you kind of get more or not the same stuff unless you're sky when they bundle five thousand things on top mm. um in this country we do also have the luxury of you can stop paying that cable or what we know as satellite tv subscription and you get preview which has hundreds of channels for free um we obviously have our tv set up slightly different in this country we've got you know the, let's say the five main channels um which even if you don't have preview you can still get you do need to pay a license for it regardless if you want to watch any live tv you have to pay your tv license um but we're getting to the point where people are or people work cutting the cord to save that money but all of a sudden you're signing up to five different subscriptions at 10 10 bucks a month you know it's 50 dollars a month you're kind of back to square one um i imagine the choice thing is still a big thing you can watch whatever you want wherever you want whenever you want um unlike cable where you're you're dictated by a schedule i think that when things like live sports get solved that will be a big thing for 
the death of cable, I think. So many people still have a satellite or a cable subscription purely because of live sports. Um, in this country, things like uh, English football, uh, MotoGP, Formula One have all gone over to pay TV, which is kind of like a bit of a backwards thing. Um, and they all went over at that weird time where internet streaming wasn't really as big as it is today. So kind of exclusive rights get de- got got dealt in all the wrong places. Um, so until their contracts are up, we might not see those sports come online. But I think as soon as that stuff starts to happen, I think streaming will take off again. Um, I don't think Roku CEO is actually making any bold predictions here. Half of all US households by 2024 probably seems about right, to be honest. Probably seems a little low. Mm. And and that's the thing. It, it Personally, I think this is only heading for an exponential changeover and by that i mean by by it, it happening very quickly i mean i know it has thus far but it only has the room to to progress further the only obstacle and here's the interesting viewpoint is there are so many streaming services which offer so many different options and programs and and and, and series now it's kind of difficult to get the one or two that you want it, it's really a case of well i must subscribe to all of them to get what i want and in some way that's just the same model as having a cable tv subscription in the first place yeah you're you're just back to square one of paying 50 100 dollars a month where you're just getting far more services and you've got to remember far more passwords yeah and that's that's that that's the point i'm i'm, I'm i came to this story with at what stage does it become ineffective i think do, do you agree or oh 100 percent. i mean it's basically what i said isn't it it's, it's the, the the we're back to square one on the whole you cut cable or you cut the cord to save money but we've now got so many different streaming services that you're actually not saving any money potentially even spending more money uh, i think most people are going to pick the ones that work best for them. Um, if you're a big fan of Disney, Marvel, you know, Star Wars, then you're, you're going to pick Disney+. Plus. Um, Netflix. I feel like Netflix is one of those ones that most people will have purely because of the diverse range of content they have. Um, I think Amazon Prime, again, a lot of people have that, probably not because they subscribed, uh, signed up to the video streaming service, but because they subscribe to the uh, free one-day shipping or same-day shipping. Um, so that's kind of a buy-accident one. I think Apple it's going to be a tough or it's going to be interesting for Apple because they obviously did a good thing I think when launching TV Plus um, they you get a year's free TV Plus when you buy any new Apple device whether it be an Apple TV an iPhone a Mac an iPad whatever you get a year's free TV Plus bundled into it which is exactly how I've got TV Plus um, so I think for now that's going to work pretty well I believe they're still running that bundle so it's not it wasn't like a, a short term thing it's still going Apple obviously then hoping that because they already have your credit card number um, one of the things we've always spoken about with Apple over the years is they got in early getting everyone's credit card numbers so getting people to sign up to stuff is actually really easy for them. Um, they've got your number through the app store or through iTunes or whatever it is so they're, they're really hoping people just kind of bundle it all into their iCloud and, and app store and other subscriptions within the platform. Um, it'll be the services that are standalone or more standalone I think that will struggle the most to get people's attention I think the ones like Roku, um, HBO, um, a number of the others, we're seeing them pop up left, right and centre. I know Hulu are doing advertising like live sports and whatnot now. Um, it'll be those ones that I think will struggle to get the, the, the kind of mainstream traction that I think the others have got. The others, maybe aside from Netflix, are all backed by a company that they can get you to pay for it one way or another. They'll bundle it into something or, or whatever. Mm. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see. I, I don't think people are going to subscribe to a to all of them. I don't think anyone's expecting that. No. Um, I think there is going to be a bit of picking, 
choosing. Obviously, one of the great things is you're more often than not or all the time not locked into any kind of contract, which is another big thing. So if you want to, if the new series of Orange is the New Black dropped and you want to watch that, you can sign up to Netflix for a month and watch it all. Um, and then you can cancel for the rest of the year. You don't need to sign up for that 12 or 24 months or whatever. So I think we'll see a lot of people doing that. I see a lot of people recommending doing that for saving money. Um, you know, sign up to service as long as you need it and then cancel it and, and you know, oh, sun- if suddenly something pops up on Amazon Prime, subscribe to that, cancel it. You know, it's a lot of effort. A lot of people won't do that. They'll just leave subscriptions running. So. Mm. It, it's one where I don't think there's a timeline on it, but the prediction clearly correlates to the figures which we're seeing at the minute. It, it could happen quicker, it could happen slower. But I, I guess the point to, to, to raise is people will inherently choose one or two, maybe three. They won't go for all of the streaming options. In a way, that keeps it healthy because it means there's firm competition. It means prices can't be fixed, which is the reason why people are cutting cable so, so easily now because the, the, the prices just don't match the content option. And, and the cable companies had a monopoly because they all kept the, the prices very high, giving people no other option but to, you know, to choose one and stay with it, essentially. Interesting, Ruku are the ones saying this because you have the likes of Netflix, Hulu um, and a whole mass of other ones coming around now Amazon Prime Video Apple TV kind of makes you think who will will there be I mean I think Netflix have the monopoly right now at least the, the majority maybe not the monopoly but the majority I think just because Netflix they just sort of stumbled backwards into right place right time especially when it came to original content they really were one of the first to properly do a big push on original content and I think that just it really was a whoever got there first and I mean obviously they had some quality shows um, you know they couldn't have made rubbish and expected the same results but um, whoever got there first was kind of going to be the leader of that and it just happened to be Netflix. Mm. Very true. Okay, Tesla have remotely disabled or did remotely disable autopilot on their used Model S models after they were sold. Aaron, what are we seeing? It's an interesting story. Um, there is actually an update to this that, that kind of labels it a little bit of a misunderstanding, but we'll get to that. Um, it says Tesla's remotely disabled driver assistant features on a used Model S after it was sold to a customer. This is a report coming from the automotive site Jalopnik. Uh, the company now claims that the owner of the car who purchased it from a third party dealer, get this, a dealer who bought it at an actual auction held by Tesla themselves did not pay for the features and therefore is not eligible to use them. Features were enabled when the dealer bought the car and they were advertised as part of the package when the car was sold to its new owner. It's a peculiar situation that raises hard questions about the nature of over-the-air software updates as they relate to vehicles. Cars sold with hardware-based upgrades such as four-wheel drive versus all-wheel drive or advanced adaptive cruise control do not lose those features when they are resold on the used car market. But because Tesla can update its vehicles remotely, the Model S and other Tesla vehicles can apparently lose key features. Tesla did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Now, bearing in mind, I think Tesla have come out since and said it's a, it was a misunderstanding. Flip side to that is, okay, it was a misunderstanding. What is this just PR saving face because you managed to get one of the biggest car news websites to write a specific article about you? Yeah. Part of me goes, I really wish that sites like Jalopnik or any any site that reports on this would actually anonymize the user or the, the person who they were talking about. So this person who bought the car, I really wish they would anonymize this person because it would force Tesla to kind of change their way rather than fixing it for this one customer and then going, you know, pretending it doesn't exist not the next month. Um, it does raise some key questions. Now, a lot of people have pointed out that a lot of consumer laws and consumer protections should actually cover you against 
is happening. Things can't be sold with features and then they be removed magically because, oh, you didn't pay for them. Unfortunately, that's not how the world works. Um, you know, I couldn't sell you my Ford car that has cruise control. Once you've bought it, advertise it with cruise control and then come along to your house and remove the cruise control because you didn't technically pay for that option. Well, just, just, just pull the fuse out, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. But, but unfortunately, not how the consumer law works. It was sold to you with that no. feature. Now, I appreciate we're, we're, we're coming from a car world where it's a physical feature. Um, Tesla, obviously, their whole thing is you don't have to take it to the dealer or whatever to have the latest software put on it. Um, if, you, if, if people don't know, what often happens if you take your car, a normal everyday car, to a dealer to be serviced, um, they will often plug it in and see if there's any, let's say, firmware updates for it. Uh, make sure the ECU is up to date, any new features, any improvements. Um, a lot of the time, you know, if there's a recall, and if Ford have had more than their fair share of recalls um, that have been fixed through software updates, um, they improve fuel efficiency and, you know, a whole host of other things over time. Um, a service you often don't get if you don't take it to a dealer. Obviously, the only option you have is to take it somewhere to have this done. One of the big selling points over Tesla is it can be on your driveway. You don't have to touch anything and it will update itself. New features will arrive. Um, new games will arrive on that little screen. Um, but apparently new features can also be taken away. It's not great. Um, this kind of gets piled on to the whole host of issues Tesla have been facing or have been scrutinized for when it comes to the second-hand car market. Obviously, probably the biggest car market is the second-hand car market. Um, obviously, a lot of people buy their cars new, but so, so many people never buy a car new. They'll always buy a second-hand car market, and it seems to be where Tesla are falling down slightly. Um, we know Tesla have had issues with allowing people not to use the supercharger network. Um, we've seen people who have bought crash Teslas, you know, like written off Teslas that aren't actually too badly damaged. They've repaired them, um, gone to register them with Tesla and all of a sudden, oh no, you can't use autopilot or this or that or the other. You know, Tesla won't even service it. They won't look at it. They won't do anything with it um, because, you know, it hasn't all been done through their official authorized this, that and the other. They feel very much like the Apple of the car world and that's not a compliment. Um, like all the negative points of Apple or owning an Apple product, I think is probably the negative points of owning a Tesla. Obviously, there are lots of upsides. Um, but I think as a traditional car owner and as a car enthusiast, it's been one of my biggest bugbears with the likes of Tesla. Um, they don't come from a huge car manufacturer background. So I appreciate while they're trying to do new things, there are just these problems that have been solved for decades. And they are problems that don't need Tesla to come along and reinvent. Um, you know, the second-hand car market being one of them. Um, removing features from a car is not an okay thing to do. Um, miscommunication or not, it just should never have happened. If this was a miscommunication and this guy hadn't got Jalopnik to write about it, would Tesla have done anything? Probably not. I imagine this required the whole PR frenzy for this to happen and I think that's just, it's disappointing. Tesla are an old enough company now to, I think, know better. So. They've also they've also been through enough to under, understand this exactly. isn't good enough. Yeah, and and let alone. I'm not sure about America as such, but the United Kingdom, this falls directly under Sale of Goods Act, which is now the Consumer Rights Act. Things must be as expected, last a satisfactory amount of time, as described, etc, etc. Well, as expected, you would expect the feature that was on the car to be on the car when you get it. If it's not, it's not how it was expected to be, regardless of whether Tesla wanted it to be or not, wanted it to be that case or not. I mean, you wouldn't be happy if 
you went to a normal car dealership and you looked at the features list and it had this, that and the other, you purchased the car and it turns out it doesn't have this, that and the other, you'd go back to the dealership and be very unhappy about this fact. Um, again, a little, I think, easier kind of clear cut when purchasing a new vehicle. Obviously, purchasing a second hand vehicle can be a little more difficult. Um, you know, you're relying on the dealer, to be honest. But Autopilot was there. Um, it was sold as being there. And then it was magically removed one day via a software update. That is not okay. Um, I think even if it wasn't illegal, it's not okay. Um, and Tesla need to understand that, you know, Tesla need to do a lot of learning when it comes to Tesla make a great car. Or so far, they make a great car. Um, they've put pumped a lot into the infrastructure, you know, surrounding that car. Tesla just seem god awful at customer service. Anything that's customer facing, they just seem to struggle with. Yeah. You hear stories time and time again. Now, bearing in mind, you often don't hear the good stories. You only hear the bad stories. I fully appreciate that. Yep. Um, but you hear these stories time and time again, whether it be you're purchasing the vehicle new, purchasing the vehicle secondhand, whatever it is, it's just they fall down on the most basic of things. Um, I get the impression that after sales isn't fantastic. I get the impression it can be very hit or miss when it comes to servicing. Um, something that most car manufacturers just have solved. Um, even if they haven't been in business for a hundred years, it's not a difficult problem to solve. I don't understand why, you know, people keep making excuses that all oh, Tesla are new companies. Like they're not actually that new anymore. They've been around for enough time and they sell enough cars for this not to be a problem. Um, if you were buying a super exotic, let's say a McLaren, a relatively exotic car, comes with a price tag, comes with that rarity, um, comes from a company that isn't a traditional car manufacturer, they're a racing car manufacturer. Um, you could maybe, maybe expect that after sales. I wouldn't say you'd expect it not to be great, but you'd expect them to maybe have some teething issues, let's say, because this is not what they do. Tesla is a car company that sells cars to the masses. They sell bucket loads of cars to the massive masses. This is what they've done for over a decade or two decades or whatever it is now. They should have this stuff. They should have it sorted, solved, whatever by now. Taking features away by software updates, you know, peeving customers off. Not how you go about business. No, no, definitely not. And as you say, that you made a very good point. They're a company that has that, that extra oomph about them. You know, okay, they're not an exotic car manufacturer, but they're certainly not your bog standard car manufacturer either. They're, they have something extra to them. Or at least you would have thought so. Yeah, they'll uh, they'll take away features after you've uh, paid for them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Precisely. It's so, not a car that gains features over time. It's a car that loses features over time. Mm. So it's... Yeah, I think they're in a very grey area right now. Not not grey in terms of right or wrong, but grey in terms of their actual actions. You know, they need to reassess what they're doing, um, reassess whether it's doing them any good. Because what is their intention? Do they think people are going to pay for the features again? Is that what they honestly believe? It's not going to happen. Honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if Tesla wanted to pull a little bit of... Uh, do you remember BMW recently? They took this perfectly free feature in CarPlay that Apple don't charge a subscription for and then wanted to charge a subscription for. I won't be surprised if Tesla want to go down the same route instead of, you know, a feature doesn't come with a car. It, it comes registered to the user's account. Mm. You pay for that feature yourself. You get a subscription of some kind, which would just put me off buying any car that remotely involves any of that. I don't care how good it is. It's just that's not how the car industry works. It, it isn't. It isn't how the car industry's car. worked thus far. It, it's, 
is potentially how Tesla want it to work going forward, but it shouldn't, and it shouldn't sh- shouldn't get to be the case. I guess is the important note. Finally, for today, a software subscription model, and I guess it kind of falls somewhat in the same remit actually, because software subscription models are based around you don't ever really truly own the software; you're just borrowing it. You're, you're just paying to use it at the time. Somewhat, it's not similar, but it's it's almost in the same aura of what Tesla have been doing, saying, well, that feature comes with it when you own it, but when someone else owns it, nah, it doesn't. So this is striked off a story which came through the week saying, uh, or sorry, last week, which came through saying that the calendar app Fantastical is getting a big update simultaneously across all Apple platforms and a bunch of new features, but also moves its signature software to a subscription model on both iOS and Mac. It's had a long history as one of the premier calendar apps for Apple devices. started out as a nice-looking menu bar app for Mac before slowly coming onto other platforms over time. The last major update rolled out slowly over time, coming to the iPhone in 2013, the iPad in 2014, and on Mac as a fully-fledged app in 2015, later that year on the Apple Watch. But there's potentially the biggest shift in the app's history thus far. There's going to be a new subscription model. Um, it was a relatively expensive one-time purchase. The uh, iPhone app costs $4.99, which isn't bad. The iPad app, $9.99. Depends if you want to work warned or not. The Mac app cost $50. Starting now, you'll be able to use it fully loaded on your Mac, iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch with a new subscription costing $4.99 a month or $40 a year. Guess whether that's a good deal or not depends on whether you use it a lot or not and whether it's worthwhile to you. But it, moving away from Fantastical itself as just one app, this is what app manufacturers and, and software developers are doing now, Aaron. It is the way to go, seemingly. It is the worst thing ever. Well, for a lot of apps, it's the worst thing ever. I hate, hate, hate subscription models in apps. But I think, speaking as a developer, fully appreciate the fact that reoccurring revenue is nigh on impossible in this world nowadays. Um, I think developers aren't doing this out of spite. I think a lot of developers are doing it because if Fantastical update once every two or three years, that's 30, 40, 50 bucks they might get once every two or three years from you. Whereas if they can continuously have that $40 a year reoccurring subscription from you, you are always reoccurring revenue. It, it you know, technically makes it easier for them to justify working on new features and things like that, in turn making the product better for you, the end user. The flip side of that for us is, oh my god, how many subscription fees do we need to pay just to use the software on our phone, Mac, PC, whatever these days? It is friggin' ridiculous. Um, and I don't want to take anything away from Fantastical. I loved Fantastical too um, on the Mac. Um, on my on my iPhone as well. It was a great app for many years. It was I'm pretty sure where Apple stole half their features from. Um, <laughs> after a while one of the great things about Fantastic Hour is it had natural language input you could just when you clicked add event you could just say lunch meeting at McDonald's Friday at 3pm which is where we all have our lunch meetings obviously <laughs> and it would create a calendar event it would say okay you said lunch meeting it was at 3 o'clock and it was at this place like, and then iOS obviously eventually added that natural language input as well there's so many features that were great um, at the end of the day it is just a calendar app many people will scoff and say $50 is ridiculous the others will say when your life runs out, uh, runs out of your calendar application, it's well worth the money. Mm. People don't necessarily have a problem with Fantastical going subscription. I know there have been. I've read a few people saying it's so odd because auto update is turned on. You just 
wake up one day and this app that you paid $50 for is actually now asking you to pay a subscription. That's not the best thing to do. Um, I more often than not, you take a, take a look at Adobe's, um, the way Adobe did it. Um, they didn't update CS6 one day to be Creative Cloud. They created a new version of so you could still use your perfectly um, perfectly working, uh, you know, fully paid for CS6 without getting, you know, all of a sudden one day turning on your machine in Photoshop shops like, ah, you're in trial mode now, um, which is essentially what they've done and what a number of other companies have done. Um, I truly miss the days when, and this is probably pre-Mac OS App Store, which I think has a, a big part of the downfall now. I truly miss the days when you could pay 30, 40, 50 quid, 100 quid, whatever it is for a piece of software. Bring away Mac OS used to be paid not even that long ago. Um, and you got this piece of software, where it was a digital download, whether it was a physical thing, whatever it was. It was yours. The company obviously didn't then have to update it forever. If they brought a new version out, you couldn't expect your old version to continue being updated, which is probably one of the upsides of a subscription model. But this was your piece of software. If you if you, if you, you didn't have to stop paying for it and then it would stop working, there was nothing like that. Um, and obviously, if version 3 came out, let's say, then there would more often than not be upgrade pricing. If you had version 2, you could pay a little bit less and get version 3. Something of which Apple never introduced into the Mac App Store. There's no upgrade pricing in the Mac App Store, which is a huge bone of contention within the Mac developer world. Um, it's probably one of the big reasons that are leading more and more developers to go subscription model because Apple don't allow them to price things for upgrade. The best they can do is run a discount for a little while for everyone. Um, but there's no, if you own version two, you get version three for the 25% off or whatever it is. Um, it's a real disappointment to see so many apps go subscription i think it's what's going to push more and more people to just use the stock apps um you know you already had people on the rope slightly i imagine paying 50 dollars for a calendar app in the first place initial really hardcore you know productivity person um most people are, are just going to skip paying the, the the yearly fee for a calendar um people don't want to be paying for spotify yeah. and for netflix and for their email and for this and for that so yeah which wherein lies the problem because subscription models work with some forms of content and some forms of, of or some applications but when all the software applications jump on the mad wagon it becomes a bit of a, a bit a different issue adobe did it to stop piracy of 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 their well-sought creative platform creative suite and turned it into creative cloud and that worked fantastically for them and they haven't looked back since but they could do that because most of the people who were using those applications were either businesses which needed the software and so didn't query anything or again, individuals who use the software to generate an income or, or used it semi to fill professionally for work or for other uses and again, needed to use it. So they had to pay it. They had no other option. When you start putting subscription models into apps like calendar apps or other, shall I say, non-essential products, you might face issue. I mean, Fantastical has built a probably a, a very solid following and people probably swear by it on their day-to-day -day life, with, as you said, when they rely on their calendar so heavily potentially in, in work in personal life or business or a mixture of both for the general person who just sticks a few activities in their calendar every so often to remind them to either do something go somewhere be somewhere or that something's happening that's different and I think they might struggle to to hit that market with a subscription package I could be wrong I could be you know what Aaron we could be sitting here in a year's time and be eating our words but it just I think it, 
yeah, it's a great app and it's it's very powerful, but I'm not sure everyone will justify and warrant that price re- in a reoccurring way. I think another thing people have to take into account or developers have to take into account is people are slightly more okay with paying a subscription fee for something that provides something reoccurring. Take Netflix, take Amazon, whatever it is. Yeah. They create new content and provide it constantly. That's something you go, well, okay, I'm, I can't pay a one-time fee for this, can I? This is something that needs a reoccurring subscription. Yeah. Cloud storage your renting space you know the same way you rent a house you know you don't mind paying a, a reoccurring subscription something that's difficult to, to put a one-time price on software always felt like it fitted the one-time price model a lot better now if it offers something online online services i more often than not know apps that will charge a one-time fee to download use the app everything's perfect but if you want let's say the 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 syncing service that might be a service that you pay for you know they have to keep their servers running all of a sudden and whatnot like that's fair enough to pay a subscription to use an entire app slightly dependent on what it is yeah. creative clouds like such that middle ground where i know so many people who i wonder what that has done for piracy it must have reduced it massively like photoshop must have been the most pirated software in history um which is <laughs> adobe probably did a good job not fighting that so hard i wonder how many people have now signed up to creative cloud now which money they're now getting because of that um because they can just pay their 15 pounds a month like you know creative suite used to be 1500 pounds one off like more often not a fee no one was going to be able to, to really afford unless you're a business hence the pirating whereas when it goes to subscription yes you don't technically own it anymore but it's a fraction of the cost and you can have a perfectly legal copy um so that's definitely a little bit more of a gray area i think when it comes to i guess our acceptance of subscription models but yeah for a calendar app even 40 dollars a year seems a bit excessive um fantastic how you know i make the excuse of unless you live in your calendar app i don't believe fantastic how you live in your calendar app you're probably not using fantastic how put it like that so i i really do struggle on the 40 dollars. not saying it shouldn't be a paid app at all i'm just saying what they had before wasn't broken so the need to fix it kind of feels a little unnecessary follows the age old advantage if it isn't broken don't fix it but yeah that brings us to the end of episode 497 of the show as always thank you so much for taking the time to join us join us next week on episode 498 until then you can find other episodes over at munchtech.tv for our interview with Steve Wozniak co-founder of Apple computing pioneer and engineering genius munchtech.tv forward slash was for the ultimate guide to podcasting munchtech.tv forward slash ultimate podcast guide and podcastassist.com if you're listening on your mobile device munchtech.tv forward slash mobile and of course munchtech.tv forward slash newsletter for our newsletter as i said other episodes on over at munchtech.tv we'll see you next time next week same time same place until then have a good week bye-bye bye-bye